you want to come with us? Because if you do, then I should warn you. Because if you do, then I should warn you. Because if you do, then I should warn you. You're going to hear all sorts of things. Opinions from the past. My name is Tom Harris. Comics from the future. I'm Kenny, and it's tomorrow. The day the internet died in a ball of flame. It won't be interesting. It won't be relevant. And it won't be inclusive. But I tell you what it will be. The Power Power of Three Podcast. jarring cacophony tells you that you're listening to the power of three podcast we are a trio of doctor who fans who every week discuss digest digress and disagree and occasionally get disgusted as we talk about our favorite time traveling hero doctor who and all forms of his adventures whether on television in audios in comic strips appearing in animations featuring in novels being made in plastic form as an action figure, or even being packed into a pair of underpants. This week, we have a man missing in action, as Tom Harris has ingested all of the space-time vortex, and nobody's supposed to do that. So, while he waits to burp it out, or maybe he might fart it out, who knows, it's just myself, Kenny Smith, and my fantastic friend, my cool colleague, and podcast pal, who will now introduce himself. Hello, yes. Thank you for that astonishing introduction, Kenny. It's me, yes, David Steele. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We hope you're well. We certainly do, because it's a good job you're here, because after all, Dave, a stitch in time saves nine. I see what you did there, Kenny. I see what you did. Yeah, but because, as it's in Room 103, you cannot say nine. A stitch in time saves (laughs) the ninth Doctor, actor Christopher Eccleston. (laughs) Yes, yes, that works. That works for me. Yes, we are gathered today, listeners, to celebrate. Well, we've already, I think we've already talked about it, but we're talking about it properly now because Christopher Eccleston, at long last, still can't quite believe it happened. Christopher Eccleston has joined the ranks of Big Finish Doctors, and the box set of his first adventures, Ravagers, has been released. And that's what Kenny and I are talking about today. So, should we have the trailer? Humanity locked on a single planet, one time, one place. I don't know how you stand it. It's a big universe out there, and you haven't even scratched the surface. Well, it's time to change that. You're going to hear amazing things. You'll go from the Firth of Forth to alien worlds, to the sphere of freedom and a giant necropolis. You'll hear musicians in Paris play deadly games, meet monsters on movie sets and the real Macbeth. There'll be new enemies and old friends, people to lose and people to save, and every day the universe at stake. I can't promise it'll be safe. In fact, it'll be very dangerous indeed. But 
It'll be the greatest journey you'll ever take, I promise you. It'll be fantastic. So tell me, do you want to come on board? I love that trailer. It is so clever. It's so well done. Yes. And it was written by the brilliant John Dorney, as you say, Dave. Hashtag Dorney delivers. All praise be to his name. Fantastic. No, that's good. Yeah, that was an unintentional fantastic. I was not referencing. So, yes, it's crazy to think this has actually happened. I mean, I'm sat here with the box set in my hand. I listened to it in the app when it was released. I mean, what an exciting day that we were waking up that Thursday morning a couple of weeks ago there and having to reinstall the app because it wouldn't download anything because obviously there was such demand. And I think it took 20 minutes to download. I was posting screenshots at 8% and then 10% and then 80%. And eventually it did. It was a very... Out of all of the, the Doctors that have come back to Big Finish, this was the one that I think none of us ever expected to happen. Would you say that's fair? I think so. I think given the acrimonious circumstances in which Chris left the role, mm. I didn't think it would ever happen. But it's been lovely that as the years have gone by, he sort of realised people actually liked his Doctor and realised the important mm. part that that Doctor had in the success of the show in the 21st century. Because He's a doctor who came in and he kicked down the doors. He showed that the doctor doesn't have to be a middle class, very posh, dressing in silly clothes guy. The doctor can be anybody with any accent. And as long as he's got that brilliant brain, we're on it. We're good to go. Absolutely. I think he he makes the comment in one of the interviews I've seen when he, he didn't want people to be whistling his costume. You know, it's a very stripped back doctor. None of the, the flowery open inverted commas, eccentricity of, you know, a lot of his predecessors and indeed, I suppose, you could argue some of his successors. He was he was terrific and, you know, he really was. And I, like many people, was so disappointed, you know, within a couple of days of the programme being back to, to hear that he was already gone. And it didn't get in the way of enjoying his, his episodes at all. Enjoyed them all. And when it came to the parting of the ways, I was devastated. I really, really was bawling my eyes out because he was great. He really, really was. Kenny and I have talked before on the podcast about how exciting it was when the Eighth Doctor came back. Between ourselves, we've talked about how cool it was when, when they got hold of Tom Baker at Big Finish because we, for a while we didn't think that would happen. It was unbelievably exciting when they got Sir John Hurt as quickly as they did. And, you know, it's just such a shame that we never got some more stuff before we lost him. But genuinely, I never thought that the Ninth Doctor would come along. And it's as Kenny says, it's you know he's become more aware, I think, of how people rate him. There was that lovely video a couple of years ago from one of the conventions in London when, you know, he was someone caught it on the phone of him and Matt Smith sort of meeting for the first time and shaking hands and having a hug and, you know, a conversation. And, and I think it was a video of him meeting Peter Capaldi as well, which wasn't as wasn't as clear, wasn't as, as, as huggy, but still really, really encouraging. And when he heard about him doing the Gallifrey One convention and having a good time, just sort of thought, well, it happened. And that sunny afternoon last year when I was sat in Queen's Park and the announcement was made, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. Because Kenny and I phoned each other almost immediately and just laughed for about 10 minutes because it was, it was insane. So was, here it is. It just seems so bizarre that 
because Jason Hay Gallery got the chance to chat with Chris directly at mm. Gallifrey last year. And Chris said, okay, he was quite open to the idea, given that he'd obviously heard of Big Finish from all the fans asking if he was going to do it. And that opened the doors for direct conversations so that Nick Briggs could speak with Chris directly and then get yes. that dialogue going, find out what Chris wanted to be in the role. And based on what we've got with this box set, he wants a slightly more angst-free doctor who's more carefree traveling around now that the burdens of the time war have been lifted from him and he can just go back to finding out who the doctor is once more. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to consider that because I think on balance, I wonder how much of the thinking of him as being angsty is something that, you know, was really there in the TV episodes because when you think about it, you know, he's quite bright and breezy when he meets Rose at first, but there's only certain things that sort of happen in other stories that kind of bring that side out of him. He's quite chipper in The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances. He's, you know, in quite a good mood in Boomtown. You know, even in the, the Dickens story, which I th we're hoping to talk about quite soon, you know, he's quite upbeat and it's sort of, I think it was obviously, you know, the return of the Daleks that really sort of triggered, if you like, that sort of moodiness really and kind of made us aware of exactly what had gone on. So, you know, my hope is that as the, the Ninth Doctor box sets continue is that they they keep him in this little positive bubble rather than being sort of introspective and sort of doom laden. As you say, he's cut the time more as in the past. He's he's free from it. You know, a big part of what we got in television was his survivor's guilt. And I think I think that sort of came out, was brought out by some of the circumstances in plots like End of the World or as I say Dalek, because he was directly confronted by people who knew who Time Lords were, or like the Dalek had fought in the Time War. So it'll be It'll be interesting to see how they how they tread that balance, how much they hint towards it, or how much they don't. If Chris doesn't want to do it, fine. You know, you don't want them to be forcing him to do anything he doesn't want to do. And I tell you, listening to this story, it didn't feel like I was listening to a version of the Ninth Doctor that I hadn't experienced already. It felt really authentic. It felt like this was the guy that we saw on telly. Did you feel that? Very much so. I think you've got the, the slightly awkward character we've got because there's some of the moments where I think because at the time Christopher Eccleston wasn't used to playing the more comedic stuff and his awkward performance as he put it himself was actually the Doctor being awkward and Eccleston himself being awkward as well and I think he's managed mm -hmm. to recapture that. He's obviously done a lot more comedic stuff particularly with the A-words where he plays Morris and he's wonderful in that. He's just so out of his depth and that is a brilliant show. If anybody hasn't seen it I would hugely recommend it because you've got the I really, it's brilliant I because you've got <laughs> at the heart of it you've got little boy Joe who has autism and the problem is that everybody around him fails to communicate and it just shows you that although he might be the autistic one everybody else struggles to communicate as well and talk to each other and it is so clever right. it's, it actually took me a while to realise that's actually what's going on in this series and it's wonderful I would hugely recommend it if it's okay. still on iPad, please if it's, do look it up. I'll see if it's on iPad. I'll, I'll investigate. Excuse me, my telly's never on these days. That's the trouble. I'll be on. I'll be watching films and talking pictures TV or, or the champions and talking pictures, and that's about it. Yeah, like he was. I think a good word for the Doctor in, in this little box set is. I mean, we'll probably we should probably say spoiler warning. We're going to talk about some plot elements of it. So if you haven't listened to the the box set yet, you know this is your warning. We're going to talk about the plot in, in broad terms we'll probably give you specifics so if you have heard it and you want to listen that's fine if you haven't if you're not going to listen that's also fine but you know just we don't want to kind of we don't want to to be too annoyed at us in case we haven't told you i loved how fearless he was 
and just effervescent. The first time I listened to it, I have to say, I felt like a rabbit in headlights. I was only focusing on Eccleston. The elements of the story were kind of whipping past my head because I was just... If I listened to the first episode whilst walking into town and listened to the second episode on the way back and then went for a walk around Queen's Park in the afternoon to finish the, the last one. And I was just like... I felt like I was pinching myself because I, I still couldn't believe I was actually hearing them. <laughs> Within a year, we're going to have more audio Eccleston stories than we had on television. Isn't that crazy? It's mental. I mean, I think I'm the same as you because I'd read the scripts beforehand for the Vortex preview, so mm -hmm. I knew what yeah. we were going to get. But the incredible thing is, you cast when you're reading a script, or when I read a script, I always cast people in my mind in these roles. And it, was, it sounded, the version that I listened to was nothing like the version that I had in my head. It's a bit like, right. think of the Dalek Invasion of Earth movie and the Dalek Invasion mm -hmm. of Earth TV story. It's the same thing mm -hmm. pretty much, but mm -hmm. it's different. Mm -hmm. And it's very much, it felt right. like that. And even though the plot's exactly the same and the lines were there, it was a very different read. But Eccleston is just magnificent. I mean, I like the fact that straight up, we're dropped in in the middle of an adventure, it's underway, and then of course, yeah. with the the whole story structure, it's Nick Briggs doing his his different his narrative yeah. is, is not a, is a non-linear one. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we may as well get this part out of the way. I love Nick Briggs, I can't lie, I'm a big fan. I really like him as a person, and I really like what he does. However, <laughs> I've listened to it a couple more times since, and I will admit some confusion about the strict way that the story unfolds. It reminded me actually a lot of The Human Frontier, which was his big Finnish original that came out last year. And as much as it kind of starts off and then it goes back a bit and fills in some details and then goes back to where you were, you know, on an epic scale and a far future, far distant sort of world, it reminded me very much. I think if any Doctor could easily cross into the human frontier and back out again, it probably would be the ninth, the ninth Doctor because he's so unattached to the, the broader mythology. I will admit that the basic, the basic story of Doctor encountering this, this world where people are all hooked up to these games consoles and being exploited by this woman Audrey and then discovering that Audrey is doing it deliberately and then for a reason and then discovering that Audrey is doing it deliberately for a reason to try and stop the destruction of the universe is there. And I follow that bit, but I, I will admit to a certain opacity, shall we say, of understanding. I got, I mean, the second time I listened to it, here's a good way of putting it, actually. Did you see Tenet last year? No, I haven't. I'm when planning to watch it. The Christopher Nolan movie. Right. As well as comparing Ravagers to the human frontier. I, it reminded me of the experience I had with Tenet because I went to see Tenet with my, my friend Paul and Paul and I just sat there going, what? <laughs> for two plus hours, right? But by the time I'd seen it for the first time, my friend Danny had seen it twice and Danny was saying, you need to see it a second time, you need to see it a second time. And I was like, I don't know if I want it to be honest, but eventually, like a week or so later, me and Danny and, and Andy, uh, you know, another pal, we went to see it again. And this was at the height of sort of the brief period when the cinemas were kind of, you know, reopened again whilst everything was going on COVID. And we sat there with our masks on. And seeing it, seeing Tenet for the second time was like seeing a different movie. Because you're kind of, because of all the stuff you've kind of been exposed to the first time, you're not, you find your brain sort of can relax a bit 
and focuses on some of the other details that you were too busy being blown away by the first time. I think if I was to see Tenet again, I would have a complete, full understanding and proper following of it. Because, again, like a couple of other Chris Nolan movies, that was very non-linear. And Briggsy's done something you know very similar here. Because when I listened to it the second time, I got a much better grasp of Audrey and what she was trying to do and the effects of the time eddies and what was happening to the Roman soldiers and all that sort of stuff. But I was still, I'll admit to a little a bit of, as I say, opacity as to the whole thing about the Doctor meeting her in a different order. I think I probably need to give it another spin before I'm, com- I'm completely clear on it. How did you find the story? I enjoyed the fact that it was complex. It's not a straightforward listen. And you can see that Christopher Eccleston would want something that's not so straightforward. I think looking at what's coming in set two, and having just finished the Vortex previews of them, it looks like they're more traditional stories and they're all one-off, mm. one-parters and no particular through link to them. Whereas this was obviously one story told in three parts. I was intrigued by it to know exactly how it's all been done, what's going on, who are the Ravagers and, and everything that's going on. I mean, the fact that there's an evil immersive games business empire, that had me from the word go and think, yep, is that Microsoft or is it any of the <laughs> other big companies that, uh, that like people to go and play their games, whether it's The Sims, Minecraft or that other one that all the kids like. Who knows? Um, Frogger, Super Mario. I know so much about computer games, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) It's a shame because we could have done a Doctor Who computer games episode otherwise, but I'm the only one who's ever played them. That will be our very first Power of One. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be the most sensible episode yet. (laughs) No, I enjoyed it. I particularly like the fact that we get to meet Nova, the Doctor's Ersatz companion for this, the galley chef, and the fact that he builds up a nice wee relationship with her, and then she's gone. You think, oh, that is a very much a, a Christopher Eccleston series thing to happen when you've got Linda with a Y, people like that, people who you yeah. get to know, and you think, oh my God, they've gone. Okay. And I think that's, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And was, I think that was, and assume that was a deliberate thing to do. And then, of course, and after story one, Speed of Freedom we get to see what happened to her in the second story, Cataclysm, as we find out that she's been dislocated in time and there's lots of things going on. And I like the fact that we get that the whole thing's been caused by a piece of Time Lord equipment left over from the Time War, but it's not explicitly dwelt upon, which I think was quite nice. The fact that Mm. the Doctor's not been pulled back to Time War memories and things like that is very much as a piece of Time Lord tech. It's fallen through time and Audrey's been able to take advantage of it and I quite like the fact not a huge deal was made of that, because that's the sort of thing that would happen, you know, flotsam and jetsam from war. I mean, you look at what shows up, still washes up in our shores now, you still get unexploded bombs and things oh, like that yeah. from World War II. So I think Absolutely. that was quite a nice wee touch. Absolutely. How did yeah, you feel about definitely. Nova? I mean, um, I thought she was fine. I kind of felt it was kind of weird how it's a bit this, I'm, I'm not a fan of timey-wimey stories when someone basically travels back to yesterday and prevents you know maybe the TARDIS went into a temporal orbit I look forward to the episode of the of Pieces of Eight when Kenny explains definitively what a temporal orbit is maybe the TARDIS went into a temporal orbit and took the Doctor back to where it all started I thought it was kind of unfortunate that they had we had a couple of episodes of them bonding and becoming friends and getting to know her and getting to know them together and then it all hadn't happened so he basically had to kind of go and almost force himself or introduce himself. It was kind of like what happened with Melanie in Trial of the Time Lord. Again, this is why I need to have another listen to it. 
I wonder if it's actually much more straightforward than my head is letting it be. I'm not sure. But yeah, she was fine. She was good. I, I hope that nothing bad is going to happen to her. You know what I mean? Yeah. When one thing about the Ninth Doctor on television was got this sense that he was carrying a lot, you know, had a lot of, a lot of, to quote Hey Jude, you know, he carried the world on his shoulder and Rose helped him kind of open up out of that and regain his sort of lust for life and his zest and he has this at the moment. So I'm wondering if at some point they'll do a story where he kind of does get a bit fed up again or whatever, or it all starts to wear on him again. To try and answer your question more succinctly, I thought she was fine. As a placeholder companion who we know by definition is not going to be there forever, she was okay. Yeah, she was fine. I didn't dislike her. It was a very sort of red dwarfy sort of 2000 DD sort of um introduction sort of origin for her. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think she's well played. Camilla Beepu, I think, was fab. She's she makes her likable very quickly, and the fact that the Doctor's delight when goes, ha ha, you're a geek, and he's absolutely. Yeah, but he doesn't even say that. He says. See, if he'd said geek, I would have been so much happier, but he says that horrible word, nerd, which I just do not like. It's cruel and it's awful. I much prefer geek because it sort of at least implies intelligence. That was quite funny, that sort of final scene. And, you know, when he's drinking or eating, whatever it was, and just making those horrible noises. <laughs> you could tell he was, he, was, he was loving every minute of it. He seemed happy. I mean, that's a great thing. There's quite a joy and relish to it, and you think, that's Chris Eccleston just letting rip and just having fun. Yeah, absolutely. And he is having fun. That's, that's, that's you know, so obvious. And as I say, I was rabbit in the headlights the first time I listened to it. I was like, this is it was almost too, you know, landing in London, straight away, psychic paper, blah, blah, blah. You know, Dan Starkey playing 300 parts. We should mention that and, and being fine. And Jamie, I mean, that's, I... Jamie Parker, who I think is brilliant, he's done a fair bit of Big Finish recently. He was in that Peter Davison Dalek story last year. Um, I always talk about the time I saw Jamie. I saw him at the Globe in um, Henry the Fourth, and then in Henry the Fifth, you know, playing playing Prince Hal, and he was just tremendous. It was really good going back a couple of years later and seeing Henry the Fifth. It was like seeing the next movie coming out or putting the next DVD in the in the player. You know, I'm a big fan of Jamie, so it was good. It was really good that he was involved. I mean, I think it was a good. A good strong cast, and it's not not a huge cast, but Dan Starkey is always just fantastic. I don't know how he does it, but there's so many so many voices that he finds, and but he does them so well. Yes, yeah, there's like never the a whole, distraction that can get in the way. Yeah, I quite like the whole sequence where you've got the Romans in London because I quite like that sort of displaced stuff when you've got just that complete yeah. juxtaposition of soldiers mm. from different times and stuff like that. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it, it worked very well, I suppose, given the way that the story was resolved, all of that then didn't happen. That all those 300 people in London who were killed were would have been reinstated. Again, that was another bit I was kind of foggy on. It would have been nice if there'd just been a, a couple more lines just to kind of clan. You know, do you know what? The quote that sprung to mind as I was going, huh? at points was, you know that famous quote of Terence Dix of, about making it... Um, complicated enough to keep the kids interested but simple enough for the adults to understand or the other way around do you know, do you know the line of me yes i thought there was points here and i was sort of thought right am i overthinking this or is this being am i just failing to grasp what's happening am i making it too too difficult for myself there was a, a few points here and there that I felt could have done with a bit more clarification and it was and i have to say i think it's a very brave choice to start with a non-linear three-part epic rather than taking the safe option of 
breaking people in gently. Is it 100% successful? I'm going to sit in the fence. I'm not going to say so because I don't want to upset anyone. But I think it was a brave thing to do. And one thing actually I thought was really good as well, we should talk about, was it really felt, it felt very era authentic. I loved the Murray Gold style piano-led score. And the, the moments when you could tell, oh right, this is when we'd get a visual effect shot of the TARDIS spinning through space and there'd be some thinky-plonky over the top of it. I mean, what, what did you, how did you feel about all that? Oh, the music and sound design are absolutely lush. Howard Carter's done a fantastic job in the score. I think he's a brilliant composer anyway. And oh, yes. I haven't heard a score that he's done that I disliked. I think he's very, very clever in how he does it, getting that feel of a Murray Gold score, but is very much inspired by, and is very much his own thing at the same time, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And got to mention the sound design by that man, Ian Meadows, I think is right. so clever. Just It's creating all those different soundscapes, different worlds, being when the doctors in time vortex and things like that. I think there's, it's just so, so cleverly done. I just think it's an absolute skill. I mean, even with these episodes, when you try to do something a bit funny with the sounds and put something in the background. I mean, today we've been accompanied all the way through by the TARDIS sound effect, but that's just a case of somebody else has made that effect and drop it in the background. So to try and have that yeah. stuff done from scratch is I've got a huge amount of respect for anyone who can do that. Well, and I think I think that's an well, extra dimension that is often overlooked. Yeah, I don't think they I don't think they get enough credit. You know, people that you know like, like Benji obviously Benji Clifford who, who does so much, you know, it's just think what a big finished story would be like if you didn't have the music and sound effects, you know, sound design essentially. It would just sound like a bunch of voices and it would be nowhere near as involving. So they all deserve a lot of credit. They really do. And this one I think it's works especially well. I mean we're during, you know, the sort of the Polonic Wars, we're in London, we're in, as I say, these red coffee two thousand AD sort of future sort of situations. Aye, a, a grand job. Yeah. I mean I think it's a fantastic package. I think if you had the, the cover is again brilliant. Very much it's some it grabs you, drags you in. Great picture of Eccleston looking quite intense. You're thinking, Oh, what's going on here? And you've got the elements in the background, you've got the TARDIS, the tank, you've got a probe, you've got a robot and soldiers. I think it's good cover. And then when you look at the individual ones that are on the way for the vinyl release, when whenever that comes out, beautiful as well. I, I really, really am tempted to get it as well. But for me, I think it's a great all-in package. It's it's one that makes you want to listen again, because if, you, if there is, as you said, bits that you've missed and didn't quite fully pick up on, you're going to listen to it just to hear Eccleston again anyway. Yeah, yeah. My hope is that somebody somewhere finds a folder full of fresh, unseen Eccleston photographs, so that the covers, the covers don't have to resort to using the same photographs again and again. No, it's, I mean it's, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this sort of stuff long enough, and obviously this is the the story was sort of done to engage the the lead actor, and he's obviously engaged. You can tell he's having a whale of a time, and. If an old thicky like me maybe struggles a bit with following the mechanics of the plot, it doesn't really matter because we've gotten back. And as you say, I mentioned earlier on about not sort of whistling the costume or whistling the scenery. You know, having him back is what it's all about. You know, really. I like the fact that they're not making us wait too long between the box sets, are they? They're coming out fairly close together, aren't they? Yes, they're doing them three months apart. I mean, the fact that the next story yeah. we're going to get, it's set in Scotland with a Scottish cast which has got me excited. I look forward to, All right. to hearing that. I don't know if that's I must have, um, elsewhere. I must have missed my email invite me to take part. 
I thought just so they don't get the dogs have to do a, a Scottish accent because Christopher Eccleston's Scottish accent was the worst thing about the G.I. Joe movie back in the noughties. Oh, oh cinema an absolute pain. He, he went, went from Dundee to, to Paisley to Aberdeen and to Fife in the space of a sentence. It was shocking. I don't think it was that bad in Shallow Grave, though. Why? Oh, oh, it's ages since I've seen Shallow Grave. He goes, is he, does he do a Scottish accent in Shallow Grave? I haven't yeah. seen that in like 20 years. I can't remember. Yeah, he plays I don't Scottish think I've seen Shallow Grave since the 90s. I certainly haven't seen it again since he became the Doctor, so I'd have to, I would have to revisit wow. that. I love the fact that Obi-Wan Kenobi and Doctor Who in the same film, and in <laughs> many cases, many scenes. My former flatmate Ross, who I've mentioned many times, or on the podcast, he had uh, he was a big fan of the movie version of Jude that Eccleston was in. Ross was the sort of guy that would read Thomas Hardy, you know, as a way of chilling out for an afternoon. You know, come to the pub, Ross. Now I'm going to sit here with you know, far from the madding crowd. And I remember him calling me through at one point to show me the scene, and you know, where Tennant and Eccleston face off in the pub, and that, that was like, oh, that's so much sort of. It's like when you when talking pictures put well any gentleman on it. Five o'clock in the morning, and you get up especially to watch John Pertwee harrying William Hartman, vice versa. It's a, it's a nice little thing when that happens. I mean, let's be honest. Like the ultimate hope now that Eccleston's back doing it is that we get a multi-doctor story at some point. Think what it'd be like to have a story where he's like on the other side of the microphone from David Tennant, and you know, can you imagine the 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 frisson, the sparks that we might get if something like that was to happen? What's your ultimate wish then for, for Echoes being with Big Finish? What, what story do you most want to hear? That's a good question. And you know what? I was actually thinking about that just when you started there. And I was thinking, <laughs> I would probably still quite like him to do a run with Billy. You could do that run after they've beaten the Slovene and before they get mm -hmm. to Dalek. They could put in a few more adventures in there. So I think some stories with the Doctor and Rose would be good. Yeah. But yes, I think some stories with Rose would be fantastic, which I didn't even mean. <laughs> to use that word again. Yeah, I mean, definitely that's the hope. And obviously a lot of Chris's thinking it's been reported is that he didn't want to he doesn't want to revisit the T V series. He's been there, done that. So maybe maybe he'll change his mind, but I hope so. I mean Billy's done quite a few big finish now, so we got to hope. I'm sure that she'd be up for it. And it's interesting to hear him talking fondly about her and his period on the T V series and the, the bonus features. That was quite sweet. I kind of wish that the bonus features had just been him. <laughs> With no offence to anyone else who's interviewed. Can we not just get an hour of him talking about it, please? It was so good. It really, really was. It was It was the one that we never thought would happen, and it has. And it's just, for all I say about not quite following it, it works fine. There's a, there is a good, strong story at the heart of it. You know, there's a dilemma for the Doctor and, you know, a problem for him to solve. And, but just hearing him again is just, it's just amazing. I particularly like the CD extras. I, I think it's just hearing that enthusiasm when you hear Chris talking and the fact that he is able to look back and find happy things from when he did the show on TV. Yes, there was a lot of stuff that, yeah. that has been reported that he didn't like and we're not going to go into that because what's the point? No. It's old it's old ground and it's been talked about elsewhere. So let's celebrate yeah. the fact that we've got Christopher Eccleston back, we've got the Ninth Doctor back and there's tons more still to come. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Power of Three Pod. That's the Power of Three with the number three rather than written out in full. And we have a website, www.powerofnumber3pod.com, where you can find past episodes and some articles. And we also have a Facebook page, so please feel free to pop by, like the page, and share your thoughts on our episodes. Yep, please check us out there. 
And also, please check out the Earth 2 podcast. Please check out the Imposter podcast. And please check out Pieces of the Eight. Because, we're frankly, we're building a podcast empire between the three of us. And why not join us? Yes, because we'll be back next week with Mr. Tom Harris when it will be something a little different and we can find out a little bit more about the other things that you've just mentioned there, Dave. That'll do. Good goods. Good goods. Dave, thank you so much for your time and thank you for joining me. Kenny, it was an absolute effing pleasure, as always. Never a chore. Good to see you, matey, even though it's just over a blooming screen. We're going to play out today, appropriately enough, with Iggy Pop's Lust for Life because nothing suits an eighth to better. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Fantastic.